What does it take to create something that never existed before? What does it take to challenge the status quo? What does it take to change the world? This is The Swell Podcast. We're passionate about story, experience, and designing culture, but ultimately how an idea swells into a movement. Take a journey with us as we seek the answers to those three questions through the stories of thought leaders, world builders, game changers, disruptors, and other pleasantly rebellious humans who've ventured out into the unknown on a personal journey to do something novel, innovative, creative, or disruptive. In today's episode, we chat with M. Capito, a psychotherapist specializing in tangible resilience strategies highlighted in a recent TEDx talk. M partners behind the scenes with visionaries, entrepreneurs, and business leaders to foster purpose-driven impact. M holds a master's degree in social work and business administration. She is a licensed clinical social worker, a yoga teacher, and a meditation teacher with a private practice in Salt Lake City and Park City, Utah. We dive a bit deeper into M's story and her strategies to build resilience. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all of the major socials at The Swell Pod. Our first season is made in partnership with Kiln. Kiln provides flex office space solutions for teams and individuals. Their all-inclusive set of amenities helps startups, creatives, and entrepreneurs alike get work done. Learn more about Kiln at kiln.co. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. So how are you? I am wonderful, and I feel really fortunate to feel wonderful. I think this is a scary time. A lot of people are really anxious or sick or dealing with loss, and uh, so far I've just been really fortunate this year, so I feel really grateful too today. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's interesting thinking about somebody who talks about resilience in a year like this year. I mean... Do you have people coming to you a lot with kind of COVID, the COVID stress, I guess, and a lot of issues that kind of stem from that? Absolutely. Uh, I talked with other fellow therapists as well, and uh, we've experienced that lull, like right after March, where people kind of pulled back and didn't want to continue couples therapy or other work because it's expensive or, you know, they're just kind of hunkering down. But then about 30 days later, (laughs) we had just this huge increase in referrals and people looking for support. And that's held pretty steady. We have a lot of increases in domestic violence, which is an area I specialize in, a lot of uh, increases in just couples, conflicts, divorce, um, unfortunate, like increases in child abuse and different trauma that way. Um, Being isolated and sequestered and anxious is not a great recipe for mental health. And so certainly seeing a lot of that coming through the door, unfortunately. Yeah, that's really tough. And I mean, there's no way out of being isolated either, right? It's it's kind of just the way that it is, right? And it's really tough yeah. and I don't know, it's, but so thinking about resiliency, I think that, you know, I don't know, I'll say this, seeing your your, your TEDx talk, right? Um, out of every everyone that I experienced last year in 2019, it was the one that resonated most with me, I think on a couple different levels, like, I think, you know, I'm very passionate about story. We're both very passionate about story. And I think, you know, the theme of what you talk about, this idea of growth through deliberate conflict, in a sense, if I put it in a story term, right, and what comes out of that is, is transformation. Like, I relate very deeply to that. But also, like, I can pick out personal moments where I'm like, 
you just put words to what I experienced, and that was really incredible. So, I don't know. Just can you do you want to talk about what it is that you're really passionate about when it and when it comes to resilience, and then maybe even talk towards you know what made you so interested in resilience and 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 your journey there. Absolutely. I think both of our talks really did align for me as well, um, because a lot of my resilience research went right back to Joseph Campbell with The Hero's Journey. Mm -hmm. And that's all about owning the story of your life, right? The story of your day, the story of your flat tire, the story of your crazy divorce in my case, right? And, and here in the pandemic, right? How do you own your story in the midst of so many things that are out of your control and unknown? And that's life, right? This is the human experience of figuring out what you can choose into in the moment rather than just reacting to what's happening to you. Shifting from that victim mindset to a heroic mindset, which is so empowering and kind of the key to it all, in my opinion, which is why I became so passionate about resilience. So my story tracks back. I started as a very young therapist. I was like 21 when I graduated. Certainly like did not have the life experience necessary to be very effective. And I didn't uh, align very well to a lot of the Western approaches to doing therapy. And so I struggled a lot and really emphasized more uh, on the business side of things, really got into more of the macro level impact with organizations and, and played there. It was something that was up my alley as a type A personality, operations systems thinker, and I still use that a, a lot, but therapy felt clunky. It felt very deficit oriented and my clients didn't seem to get better. I worked in addiction treatment too, so it's hard to watch the failure rate there because it's devastating yeah. when you relapse. And so I, I didn't find my footing there until I went through my own trauma. And so that was five years ago now, this is like the big five year anniversary, which it feels like it was yesterday and a hundred years ago. But I went through just this really traumatic divorce and um, all of the experiences surrounding that. I think divorce is such a commonplace thing in our society that people don't really, we underestimate the impact right, on ourselves personally. Um, just even being away from your kids half of the time is a huge thing to adjust to. Um, and we kind of just go through the motions, but there's a lot of layers to it. And in the process of my divorce, I ended up getting wrongfully arrested, spending a night in jail, um, going through just the, the shock of all of my preconceived notions of what life is supposed to be like and realizing that it's it's not like that sometimes, right? We get these curveballs that come out of nowhere and seem to be from some other planet. Like, this can't be my life. This can't be happening. Yeah. And it's a shared experience, whether it's a wrongful arrest or a premature death or anything that we're dealing with in our lives. These tragedies come for all of us. And being able to find some sense of peace in that became absolutely like my entire focus. It was survival every single day was like waking up and like how do I do this better because I was the worst client <laughs> going through trauma <laughs> despite all the practice and therapy and knowing all of the acronyms and terms and methods and worksheets I was the person that fell flat on my face and was debilitated and paralyzed and um, went through like an autoimmune reaction even um, and so developed type 1 diabetes and it was just like six months of absolute hell 
And so that's where resilience really became something that wasn't even a choice. It was necessary just to get through the day was figuring out how do I flip this script to come through this. So there was that moment, I guess, right, though, that you got to where it's like you deliberately made the choice of resilience. Like it was like, I don't know what else to do or it's yeah. Like what was it that? Yeah. I, like, tell me about that moment. It was like, cause I, I, I can imagine a lot of people go through a very difficult time and, and they listen to your talk probably. And they're like, yes, I love that. But in the moment, you know, when, when you're talking about, um, you know, you're suffering these symptoms of, of, of all of this stress and anxiety and, you know, uh, yeah, just help me understand the moment that you got past that maybe in a really mindful way. And it's interesting cause you're also uh, a yoga practitioner. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And maybe how did that all kind of manifest itself into to actually making the decision to do what you did and become really go on your resilient field trip of your own, I guess. I don't know. And I'm interested yeah. in this answer as well as maybe as, like through that six months, you probably were aware that you were in the position you were in. You maybe stuck in the, tri- you know, the drama triangle, but you can't get out. I don't yeah. know whether you observed it. You just knew you were there, but you, you just couldn't do anything about it. And then it leads to this moment where you maybe you did make a decision. I don't know if you can shed some light onto that as well in your answer. Definitely. Uh, so it was like floating up out of my body and watching this happen, right? Because I am a therapist. And so I was super curious as I was watching this train wreck woman <laughs> go through, like, I didn't, I had no appetite, which is really common after trauma, right? You just lose your appetite. You lose weight. I lost my hair. Like everything was just going wrong. I couldn't sleep. Um, and there was just this apathy numbness that prevented a whole lot of thoughtful action. Mm. Um, and I think this is a just really common in crisis. And so recognizing that we need to be compassionate with ourselves, pull back, recognize our bandwidth is really small during those initial, that initial phase of just getting through it. And, and so I was really just like, okay, I need to do this today. Like the little to-do list every day. I've got to call the attorney. I've got to follow up on the legal thing. I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to shower. (laughs) And so the survival phase was fascinating to watch because I hadn't personally experienced that as an adult and especially as a therapist to watch myself go through the trauma phase. And then there was this period where you hit a point of relief, I would say, where something gives. And whether it's an absolute meltdown moment where your body's like, okay, you're ready to feel all of this. And it feels like rock bottom because everything comes pouring out of you. Um, Or it's just this breath. You get this breath of fresh air. And for me, it was um, concrete because it was a divorce. And I got to this point where the paperwork came in actually the day before Thanksgiving. So I'm coming up on that anniversary right Mm. now. Um, And in this modern day and age, it was just an email, right? So this email comes from the courts and is like, oh, your divorce was finalized. Here's the signed paperwork. And my kids weren't home and I was like, okay, this is like the coolest timing the day before Thanksgiving. I'm so grateful that this whole, this piece, right, is done. And then it was just intuition. It honestly wasn't, there's no credit to like any of my training or experience. There was just this intuitive, totally out of character call to go on a trip. And so I vividly remember I got the divorce paperwork. I was sitting in bed on my laptop and I looked at the signature on the bottom and that was like really meaningful for me. And then I opened another tab and I Googled 
warm beach December. <laughs> and that was like it. <laughs> there was no intelligence around it. And um, if anyone that knows me, I go on a lot of trips now um, because I fell in love with travel as a resilient strategy, but I spreadsheet everything, whether it's like figuring out the best housekeeping service. Like I have a spreadsheet of like seven columns to figure out <laughs> anything. I am a very deliberate planner and I'm very frugal and like um, thoughtful about how to spend money. And so with travel, especially like my way of doing even just like a Bear Lake trip here in Utah, which is like super local and low key would be to plan and like compare all these options for weeks before deciding. But that night after the Google results came up, Puerto Rico popped up as an option on like a list. And I had never thought about Puerto Rico in my entire life. They had never been a conscious like, oh, I want to go to Puerto Rico. Um, and I, it felt like, OK, I don't need a passport. It's still in America. Like it's not not a huge scary thing, but it's a little scary, right? I've never gone on a solo trip at this point, but there's just this intuitive, like not even a thought behind it, just this knowledge that I needed to go. And so I clicked on Puerto Rico. I typed into Google flights, like the dates that I was available when my kids would be gone for Christmas break at their dad's house, found a flight, did not even look at the price, just booked it. <laughs> and this happened in the span of like maybe five minutes. That's amazing. <laughs> so I honestly, my biggest takeaway from that and what I've witnessed in working with clients is that we often don't trust that intuitive call. But when we do, magical things really happen. Our body has so much wisdom. And when we're in crisis, when we're in tragedy or in a funk, um, like so many people at this point in the whole COVID thing, I mean, we all had projects at first, right? That initial like, oh, it's okay. I can remodel the garage. <laughs> um, but then you get into this chronic state and a lot of us are in that funky place, regardless of whether it's crisis or the funk, really tuning into the body, which I found through, you know, we can do that a lot through yoga, meditation, these different body practices that I came to afterward, but trusting whatever is there, whether it's like, uh, I want to learn the guitar or I want to go on a crazy trip or I want to reach out to this old childhood friend. Um, there's often something that feels kind of out of the norm to just follow that first initial seed to plant. And then things grow from there. Momentum takes you forward. I love that. Yeah, it's it, good. It, it, uh, what, I, what I pictured, though, is that you were b basically trapped, right? In your mind, in your any other instances. But as soon as that signature was there or the email came through, you, it was like a door opening. Yes, I absolutely. Right? Like that's a great way to put it. You, you use the word something like uh, choosing, like choosing possibility. I think you used that word mm. previously. And uh, and, and yeah, suddenly the door opened to anything. Yes. Uh, and I find it's pretty fascinating that you chose something that was out of character too, though. <laughs> well, so you, you kind of mentioned like this idea of like we all have these projects and and I am actually, so there's a lot of things that I want to know, but I'm, I'm trying to focus it down to the idea of, I guess, I guess the purpose of, of the project or the meaning of the project, I guess, right? Because you're talking about, you know, I can go clean the garage or, you know, I can, I can, I can be resilient on purpose, right? I guess. And, and, and there was, you know, I guess I'm really interested in this idea of like how important is, I guess we're going to get into like, like the idea of being resilient on purpose in a second, but how, how important is the idea of having something purposeful that is pulling you through that resilient 
thing, right? Like you're hopefully aiming for something on your trip. You don't maybe know what it is at that point in time, but I don't know. Can you talk to the idea of purpose as it relates to the, the, the moment of, and maybe that instinct to be resilient? Yeah. Well, I think to speak to like the door opening to first is the beautiful thing about adversity, which of course, like we see in the hero's journey, it's always coming for us, is that it gives you a chance to explore something new, right? It, it jogs you out of your current momentum. You're headed in one direction and suddenly you have to shift gears. You have to pause. You get this beautiful space that feels terrifying at first to reconsider everything. And so, yes, when you do follow a bit of a crazy intuitive call, you open up yourself to all the possibilities, even if they're unrelated. Yeah. You know, and that's the coolest part about resiliency field trips. When I started looking at this for myself and within client work was it didn't matter what it was. When you face something uncomfortable, like that's the purpose, I think, is being out of your comfort zone. Uh, you just naturally increase your resilience in every other area of your life. So suddenly... People will go on these resiliency field trips with intention and it'll be like, oh, I'm going to go on a road trip by myself just down to Moab or something or yeah. to the Oregon coast. Or I'm going to um, go out to dinner alone and sit at the table and feel uncomfortable around everyone else that might be judging me for being there alone. Whatever it is, because our comfort zones are all unique to us. Suddenly you come home and you're like, wow, I don't have to be in this stagnant relationship. Like we could actually work on it or I could leave. And that's happened before. Right. Or I could go back to college. It's totally within the realm of my possibility. I could switch careers. I could pursue that passion that I gave up back in high school. I could get back on the clarinet. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. But they, there are all these possibilities that feed our souls because I think the human experience is all about being in possibility and exploring whatever it is that calls to you rather than that secure, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z steps so that I have enough money, so that I have enough love, so that I have enough of things, this scarcity mindset that drives us on the hedonic treadmill to do, 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 and buy, buy, buy in order to feel like we're enough when we've been enough all along. And being in that place of discomfort and fear, regardless of where it's at, reminds us of that yeah so a lot of a lot of businesses right now all over talk about the idea of growth mindset and i think you are that is to a t exactly you right like i think i i hope that's what people would take away from this is like if you're really trying to understand what it means to have a growth mindset like go talk to M. really <laughs> and i'm interested because in that so that moment where it was instinctual has it has have you always looked at at, at moments of of uh, I guess opportunity or moments of of adversity and challenge as something as a like more of a positive thing is that something that has always been with you instinctually or oh heck no yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like most people uh, you know life happened to me and I was the victim of it and I didn't have control it was frustrating right you're always waiting for those blue sky day days where it's like oh the sun is out it's a good day um, I woke up on the right side of the bed traffic was light the coffee was perfect this is a good day and the awful part about that is that you are trapped by life circumstances. Um, doing these resiliency field trips and getting into a growth mindset, practicing that liberates happiness from happy conditions. Mm. You get to be happy in any conditions, right? And that 
was definitely not in my wheelhouse before all of this. Um, I was the reactive person that would cuss and get short-tempered and blame other people and then ruminate about it, um, you know, go on a trip and be upset about the weather. It's that I was definitely the tumbleweed. And I think most of us grow up that way. And we see it in our parents. I've role modeled it for my kids multiple times, even just recently. Like we all fall into that victim mindset. It's not about, I think it's just human, right? It's not about being ashamed when you're there. It's about figuring out that you're there as fast as possible mm -hmm. and then taking back your story, choosing into the adversity so that you're in control of your own experience. Yeah. So what did you do uh, on your on your field trip, right? <laughs> in December in Puerto Rico, like, yeah. And what was that experience like? It was uh, a real urgent call to action, I think, when I look back, because I leaned in as hard as I could. But this is also kind of my way of doing everything. Um, I am a very type A, mono-focused, dive right in type of personality when it comes to anything. And so... I definitely did it M style. <laughs> so not only was I going on this trip alone for the first time ever, um, I didn't stay in any of the tourist areas. And so everyone spoke Spanish pretty much exclusively. And I had only had like some very um, half effort Spanish classes from junior high <laughs> to lean on. Um, and so there was the language barrier, um, which was actually turned out to be quite an adventure and really fun. Um, and then I, you know, in looking at, well, what am I going to do in Puerto Rico over the next couple of days after I book this trip? I'm just, you know, glancing through again, just Google lists and being like, okay, that seems really wildly uncomfortable. And again, there wasn't really this conscious connection to any why behind it, just this intuitive, like lean in, lean into this. I had never thought about scuba diving in my entire life. It was not something I wanted to do. Uh, if someone had pitched it to me before all of this, I would have been like, no, <laughs> you know, like I think I'm good up on top of the water. Um, but there was uh, a really wonderful scuba diving spots down there. And so it's like, well, if fate says like I can get certified in time, because again, this trip was only like four weeks away when I booked it. Um, so I pulled up a scuba dive center uh, out in Bountiful and they were like, yeah, we can get you certified literally 24 hours before your flight, no which is the minimum like time <laughs> before you should fly after diving. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. So I signed up for the classes and started doing the scuba training and got certified just before my flight. Um, did a scuba dive tour while I was down there, um, which was also wildly uncomfortable because uh, a lot of places in Puerto Rico or in other like less um, formalized, regulated countries, <laughs> you go on these scuba trips and they're not very diligent about all of the safety protocols. And so I'm like this brand new scuba diver who knows nothing. And they're like, all right, put on your tanks, jump in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was nerve wracking. Um, they let us dive way further than where we were supposed to be diving. Like there was all these kind of pieces that created anxiety for me, having just been taught like what my limits were and knowing I could die, <laughs> but it was amazing. Um, so I got to dive with sea turtles and um, just see the most amazing things and experience something that I think everyone should, should experience at least once was just like the very act of breathing underwater is mm. surreal and really, really neat. Um, I, 
definitely puked off the back of the boat many times. <laughs> I get seasick apparently. Um, so it was a wild experience. Um, I stayed in my first Airbnb, which for people nowadays, even for me, like seems ubiquitous, like not a big deal, but I did not know what I was doing. So I booked an Airbnb that didn't have locking doors, had like <laughs> roosters roaming about, um, had uh, a no hot water, um, multiple bedrooms with lots of hippies, like backpackers staying there, people getting high all night. Like, and I'm like this really sheltered Utah girl <laughs> just sitting there like, oh my God, <laughs> this is um, a bit different. And so it was, it was a wild experience at every point. And then I signed up for, I'd never gone kayaking before ever, not even just in like a calm lake, but I signed up for like open ocean kayaking at night <laughs> and through like a really small uh, little outfit, which was just one guy offering like this cash-based kayaking. And in Puerto Rico, they have these two beautiful um, dinoflagellate pond areas like in the ocean, in these bays where they, the dinoflagellates glow at night. And so if you go on a, um, a new moon night, you, it's just the water glows and you can dive into the water and there's all these like just incredible surreal, like can't believe this exists on planet earth experience. Um, so I sign up for this and there's no life jackets. <laughs> the kayaks look like they're 10 years old. And uh, there's just two of us on the tour. And the guy running the tour is in a boat like way ahead of us. It's pitch black and the waves are like three feet tall, just crushing over the kayak as we cross over to this bay. And it was just in my mind of like, just keep going, <laughs> just keep going. Um, and we got there and it was magical and amazing. And I'm so glad I did all of that. And I certainly don't want to encourage anyone to go so far outside their comfort zone that you have a negative experience or put your life in danger. And I at no point did I feel like I was truly in danger or I would have opted out. And that's the beauty is you can opt out at any point. But it was certainly like way outside my comfort zone to go on this trip and to do it that way and rent a car for the first time and drive across the island um, and my mom was in the back of my head the whole time, like, you're going to get kidnapped. Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something tragic is about to happen. And it didn't. And the people were really wonderful. And I have to say on all of my travels, I've never, I've never really felt at risk. I felt more at risk in like Chicago than mm -hmm. I have in most, um, third world countries that I've gone to people on the most part are really good people. Like, and if you have a good sense about you, yeah, you might have some some bad experiences here and there, but I think it's worth it. I think the ROI is there. Even if you get robbed at some point or, you know, pickpocketed or whatever, which is the greater risk that I think about in most of these cases. And or, you know, flights go get canceled or you lose some money here and there, like all of that turns into the journey. It's part of the adventure. Yeah, I, lo I love that. The makes me think of there's a tension, there must be a tension between choosing something or not even choosing something, maybe intuitively you, you just booked something that you wouldn't normally do. Um, there's some fear there, but then also a tension with some level of excitement. Yes. Is that is that grown over time or did it excite you in that moment when you, you were like fear, but actually I'm choosing something. And how important is that, the choice in, in making you feel excited and then motivating you to, con you know, to go and actually make, you know, do it? I love that follow-up question because a lot of people do come to me and say, I am way 
definitely never going on a solo trip. <laughs> like it's just so far outside the comfort zone. And so I think when I talk about resiliency field trips, that very first, uh, one of the first components is that it should be fun, right? There should be this level of excitement and enough confidence that you're not going to melt down, right? Like you're like, okay, this scares the crap out of me, but I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm going to live. <laughs> like I've got this sense of like, okay, I can opt out at this point. I can opt out at this point. I'm definitely going to live through this. Um, and it can mean like maybe if I bring a friend along then it takes that excitement level up and that confidence level up to the point where I can hold that tension between this is a really cool adventure and I'm also a little freaked out, but I can stay in it. Our goal really is to stay, let the fear wash over you and to befriend it, right? To like feel that sensation because it's really just an evolutionary physio like physiological sensation that's going to pass. Right. The adrenaline hits, the cortisol hits, you get those shaky hands, your heart races, sweaty hands. I know like standing on the side of the TEDx stage, <laughs> all of that washed over me in like the most extreme way. And you get to sit there and realize this is temporary. This isn't who I am. This is just fear. And as long as I'm not going to die, I can choose into this, push past it and and experience fear in a positive way. And I don't ever want to push so far past that I experience fear in a really negative way because then I'm going to pull back even more. And so with every one of my resiliency field trips, I am always gauging that tension, right? Like, where's that point, right? I'm planning a trip to Panama right now and there's a volcano there, the highest point in the country. And I'm like, oh, that sounds a little freaky, right? <laughs> and there's so, so little tourism going on right now that if I did go, I'd be with the tour guide by myself. And um, going on this overnight journey, you leave at like 11 p.m. at night and you don't get back until 11.30 in the morning. And it's 17 miles. It's a 4,000 feet elevation gain, I think, like really cold at the top, like all of these uncomfortable experiences. And I'm, I'm wondering, right, is this pushing too far? Like, am I going to really actually have that excitement, enjoyment, the positive association? Or do I want to scale back? You know, what is my my readiness and interest in this right now. And I think it's important to be aware of that. So that's, uh, how do you, how do you, um, so as you're advocating for these resiliency um, inoculations, stress inoculations, resiliency field trips, yeah. right? It's like, there, there is that important part of you that is the mom in the back of your head, <laughs> right? That's saying, wait a minute, am I going too far? And so I guess, how do you help, how do you find that balance or what, what do you tell the people who, who are maybe going on these things with you or, or taking advice, you know, to do this thing? And, and, you know, I guess, how do you strike that balance? Is it just constantly being aware and asking yourself, like, am I going too far? Or I don't know. How do you? Yeah. Yeah. I am a big fan of experiential learning. Uh, for me and from what I've seen with client work, like that's really how we um, grow. Right? It's not by reading a book. And if it was, right, like we'd all be healthy, wealthy, and sexy, right? Because there's a million self-help books out there. Um, it's really about taking it and applying something. So whatever resonates with you, whether it's a resiliency field trip or uh, a time management strategy, it's about putting it into application and seeing how it fits inside your body. And so mm. I really am just like, take baby steps, yeah. right? What is like one easy thing you can do this weekend or today that feels uncomfortable? It could be like saying hi to a stranger, right? Like it takes maybe five minutes to find a stranger, say hello, and, and experience the anxiety of like, oh, they might like not say hello back, or they might have headphones in, or they might be irritated, or I might feel stupid. <laughs> All these like silly over like protective helicopter mom things that 
that get louder and louder the less we do scary things, mm. right? That resilience zone atrophies down when we don't practice. And so when we do practice, when you lean into just those baby steps, you start to get attuned to this is fear, and this is intuition, right? This is the wise mom saying, pull back. And this is just fear. Yeah. Like, okay, I can let go of the fear. But when the wise mom is like, okay, I get that you want to do this, but there are some legitimate risks and, you know, you may want to start smaller or jettison that idea altogether. You can start to sort those through, but it takes practice to know what what's different in your body and giving yourself space for the the initial fear hormones to subside. Because while your body is in that shaky, crazy state, you're like narrow pinpoint view on all the possibilities. And so the time to like let that subside, to be with yourself, you can come back to authenticity. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so if, if I was then to ask, I guess, what's really interesting is, you know, the intuition and the fear kind of balancing between the two is when you start to look at like, okay, well, because you're pushing a little bit further than not only are you comfortable with, but then you, that you've ever experienced before, which means that there is this inherent ability or there's this possibility of failure, right? And so like, if, have you, you know, through these resiliency field trips, through, the, through your own experience, like, are you aware that you might fail? Have you failed, you mm -hmm. know, in these opportunities where you're trying to build up your resiliency or trying to go do something completely out of your wheelhouse? I don't know. I love that you brought up failure yeah. because I think that's the coolest part about this is that we need to redefine our relationship to failure. Growth comes through failure. It's trying something, not quite succeeding or falling flat on your face and then trying again. But if we're not comfortable with failure, like if that's, I always think when my overprotective fear brain gets going, it's like, oh, you might fail and you might die, right? <laughs> the fear brain is all about survival. And so at the end of every, like, why you shouldn't do this statement is this little tag on of like, and you might die. <laughs> it's like, don't get on the stage, you might die. Yeah. You know, don't reach out to that friend. They don't really like you and you might die. Um, and so it becomes this very black and white, like narrow experience with failure of like, oh, like I really don't want to risk that. But to not risk failure is to not grow. It's to be stuck. It's to feel kind of miserable a lot of the time because we are designed to go out and be on that edge of our comfort zone, to be constantly growing and pushing into new things. That's when we feel alive, right? And so me going to Puerto Rico, I thought it was just a crazy trip, right? Like, oh, this is just like a little eat, pray, love journey. But in the process of, of experiencing that and then coming back and seeing the ripple effect into every other area of my life, I suddenly realized why Eat, Pray, Love is such mm. a, like, why we all related to that, why we have this natural, intuitive renaissance period after trauma or adversity, this desire to do these new things, because our body knows that that's where we feel alive, that's where we feel at peace, where we find joy, where we find connection. Mm. And those are all necessary ingredients to, to just being a human that's, that's having a life. Right? And so I think failure is inherent when you do these things and it's awesome, right? I look for the failure and in the moment, I'm not, I'm still not great about it. I, I fail all the time. I am like an absent-minded professor. <laughs> and so whenever I go on these experiences and people look at uh, the Instagram photo or whatever, and they think, oh, wow, you just did that so well. But behind the scenes, right, is like all sorts of 
gnarly experiences. Uh, you know, when I went to Italy with a friend on a big resiliency field trip, I got in a car accident. And it was the coolest part of the entire experience was like failing <laughs> at a roundabout and having to navigate that. Um, and I've failed on so many hikes. I just hiked Timpanogos for the first time, mm -hmm. which is so silly. I've grown up in Utah, I should have done it long ago. It's probably my favorite hike in Utah now. Um, but it was about a month ago and I get so in my head, uh, there's this one piece about a mile, mile and a half into the hike where you need to start up the switchbacks and there's a hairpin turn. And if you keep going straight, you go to this little waterfall, which is a dead end. And there's all these logs across the trail that are like, don't go this way. <laughs> and I didn't even see them. I just stepped right over them, kept on going, momentum carrying me forward, and then was like utterly lost for half an hour at the waterfalls trying to find the trail. And so had to backtrack. I definitely like started crying. I'm on this solo trek and it's like not even daylight yet because I started really early and I'm like, I'm already failing. <laughs> it's Timpanogos, like people hike this, like so many people go on this hike and I can't even do it, right? And so backtracking, finding the logs, the sign that says to turn, I had to just sit down and laugh at myself, right? To find the humor in the fact that, of course, I'm going to fail. Of course, there's going to be more and more of that. And it's that's where I get to find the lessons and take them back with me to see how I'm carrying forward across the logs in my path in my personal life, which I do all the time too, right? Just like, oh, I stayed on that project for way too long when I knew it was the wrong path. Or I stayed in that relationship for way too long. I ignored all the red flags. And, and that's the journey, right, is doing these resiliency field trips maps over because of the failures. Yeah. Don't you think that it's, it's, it seems like at the heart of that is, I mean, what's the criteria of success? It's, it's curious, like it's just being curious. You're not, you're not doing these for the sake, just for the sake of it, although that would be still good. You, you kind of, there's an instinct there to be curious. What, what if I go and do this? Yes. I'm, you know, you must be curious enough to find out what the results would be to eat in a restaurant by yourself or whatever it might be. You're kind of curious. And I think that that can't really fail because you find out maybe at the end of it, it wasn't very useful or it wasn't what you expected, but it's still success. Exactly. We're such an outcome oriented society, right? It's all about will, like I'm writing a book right now and it took me years to get to the point where I like started actually writing in earnest because it was all about the outcome. Like, will this be published? Will someone want to read it? How do I write this for somebody? Rather than writing it for myself, just mm -hmm. out of curiosity, right? Like what's gonna come out of me? I don't know. Let's just start writing and see what happens or start up the trail and be okay with the fact that I might have to turn back, which for me as a type A is so hard. I'm so outcome driven. I have to get to the peak. I have to like do the thing that I planned, which is why travel is my favorite for resiliency field trips because it doesn't matter where you go, whether it's a road trip a few hours away or Asia on a like a huge long distance flight something's going to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot of things, you know, you're going to break down on the side of the road or your flight, you're going to miss a flight, which I've done uh, way too many times. Um, or one flight gets delayed and you miss the next and you're stuck in Hong Kong or, you know, things go wrong. And that's the coolest part is learning to just be curious in the moment and let it flow. Because I mean, if you think about it, all of the quote unquote bad times in your life are really just your reaction to supposedly things going wrong. But when we look back, we're often most grateful for those moments. And so if in, in the moment, 
we can decide to be open to whatever's unfolding and whatever lesson or journey or new experience is happening for us instead of to us, right? It's shifting from that to me to for me mindset. It changes everything. Suddenly you can be happy no matter what. You can grow no matter what or because of all of it. It just changes life. I just keep, I'm sorry. I just keep going back to, have you seen Mean Girls? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I just keep, after the and you will die thing, I just keep thinking about, you know, don't have sex or you'll get chlamydia and you will die. Anyway, I'm sorry. But, um, so I'm interested to know, I guess, after you got back then, right? Like, so you got back from, uh, from Puerto Rico. And I, I guess, how did you make the connection to like, this was super valuable to me? I mean, and how can I take that and apply it to other people? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, I got back and I was like, oh, you know, this is just a honeymoon glow from a trip. Um, But there was this lingering sense of like, no, that was actually really, really meaningful. And my therapist brain was like, that was more impactful than any therapy session I'd ever done, Mm -hmm. any book I'd ever read, any intervention I'd ever applied to myself. It's like that was the coolest thing that has ever transformed my life. And how is that? Like, why am I not recommending travel to my clients? Like, what was part of it? What was the core ingredient? So I got, that's how I think about things, right? I was like, what was the piece that was actually the causative factor? And I didn't have the word intentional, the phrase intentional discomfort at that point, but that's what it came to over the next probably like five, six months. I was like, okay, I think it was every moment on the trip where I was wildly uncomfortable was when I had the best experience and the thing that stuck with me. And so, you know, I started doing things that were wildly uncomfortable when I got back and things that were even just baby steps, right? Like Groupon is a great way to do this, especially when we get out of COVID, but there's still great opportunities now. But like I signed up for a glass blowing class. Mm. Like, oh, I have no interest necessarily in that. It's new, which is a big piece of Resiliency Field Trips is doing something novel because our brains are like sponges when we're doing something new. And so went and like did glass blowing out at Thanksgiving point. And then, you know, uh, went skiing again for the first time in I think 13 years. And that was, that's still a resiliency field trip for me every single time I go skiing. I've got one coming up uh, on Thanksgiving, going skiing again. And I'm wildly anxious about it still. (laughs) So I just found opportunities to be in discomfort over and over again. And again, as a therapist, I was like floating up there, watching myself go through this and feeling the anxiety come up, feeling the apprehension, the morning of like excuses of how I could get out of it and doing it anyway. And then noticing how I felt afterward and what I did afterwards, like how long would that afterglow last? And it was eventually just really straightforward from what I could see of like, okay, we really need to be on that edge as often as possible. And when we do that, there's this phrase in therapy land when we do the research called spontaneous self-care or spontaneous self-growth, right? It's where we tap into all of our own answers. 
which as a therapist unlocked everything, mm. right? Um, I'm a big fan of Carl Rogers, who's like kind of the father of a lot of um, ideas in therapy. And he ha had always emphasized, right? It's about the client taking the journey on their own and you're not there to provide any answers. But there's such a pull to try to provide answers, whether it's to our children, to our spouses, to our friends or clients to say, oh, this is what you should do. And yet, no matter how perfect the advice, even if you had uh, a time machine and you knew exactly what they should do, if it comes from someone else other than ourselves, it's not as meaningful. It doesn't change our lives. We have to go make the mistakes. It's some weird human condition we have where we have to stumble through and make the wrong choices and experience that and take the journey to wherever we're going to end up. And that's the beauty of life. And so really coming to see that I was making all of the best decisions for myself when I was at that edge or shortly thereafter, I started applying it in therapy to just encourage clients to go out into discomfort um, and to help facilitate that. We do a lot of group resiliency field trips where people can kind of baby step in with other people and then watch what happens. And it's the coolest, most magical thing to see people make these huge leaps in their lives, seemingly small choices often, but enormous trajectory shifts simply because they reconnected with their authentic, curious, compassionate, brave self. Yeah. It resonates so much with this idea of the swell, right? I mean, I, you mentioned that actually, I think, uh, in your, in your, in your response on the, on the, on the forum is like, I mean, we, I think we're, we're strong believers in this idea that this idea of journey, you know, specifically and, and, and change having to ultimately start within yourself and then it kind of swells outwards, you know, which is really interesting. And I love that you mentioned that. But um, I'm interested to know, I guess. So once you once you kind of had this experience and you you then took it to to the to the real world and, and, and helped other people kind of experience this. I don't know. I'm. You, there's a certain like the openness to experience the openness to to failure like that openness i guess right do you know do you feel like maybe before this happened and after this happened do you feel maybe more more creative like, oh yeah do you, it's interesting i don't know i'm interested in that yeah, yeah. creativity is scary yeah. right in order to create something original you have to go outside of your ego Right, because the ego doesn't want to do anything original. That's like new and it could fail. <laughs> it could be really bad. A lot of times it is, right? Creativity is born out of a lot of bad ideas. Um, and when I say bad ideas, it's just like ideas, right? It's like, again, detaching failure and bad and all these other things from like, I might die. Like, these are all good things. Having a lot of ideas that don't work is the process of finding your way to ideas that do and that uh, change lives even. And so creativity, I think, really sits on a bedrock of doing uncomfortable things and being okay with feeling afraid um, and, and almost enjoying it, right? A lot of people who are um, adrenaline junkies can really speak to this, right? Like they feel most alive when fear is going through their system. It, there's a whole new association with it. It's, it's feeling um, this purpose and connection and spark rather than like feeling debilitated and paralyzed. And it's really all about practice in getting there so that you redefine what that experience is like. Instead, when the adrenaline comes into my system now, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I want to tap into this. What's going on inside of me? Like, yeah. what can I channel this into? What ideas are coming to me? Because certainly like 
have my normal peaceful days where I go through a routine. I don't remember those days. They don't stand out. There's nothing like incredible happening in the shower. It's just shampooing, right? <laughs> but the days where I'm like scared about something, whether it's doing like a TV interview or a trip is I'm leaving next the next day or I'm going on a date, right? Like which always gives me anxiety. Um, you know, suddenly like there's all this creativity spurring and all of that. It just there's a huge ripple effect, right? Into creativity and into vulnerability in these really amazing ways that that you do remember. Yeah. I love that. We've been reading, so you probably have another question. No. Yeah, go for uh, it. Uh, reading um, Change by Design again, and, and, it, and it by Tim Brown, and in there it talks about uh, the importance of convergent, and di oh, sorry, divergent thinking and convergent thinking, and those two, and, and you're really describing, everyone can be creative, but we often just stick with what we know. We, we do stuff, we plan stuff, but actually spending a little bit more time on the, on the creative, it opens up the, the world, uh, you know, the world to us, and I want to just backtrack a little bit to, you know, yourself as well as the people you work with and and support and help. Um, how do you trigger, you know, any other triggers that you do to actually help that change happen? Because we can just get stuck in the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, you know, what 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 practical triggers do you use in your life to make sure that that the time between your uh, resilience uh, kind of experiments um, are not too long. Right? Yeah. Well, I think coming kind of full circle to you'd mentioned yoga earlier, in the course of figuring out intentional discomfort as this big piece of it, I, I mean, clearly there were some other pieces, right, to resilience. Not You don't want to just be in intentional discomfort all the time. <laughs> That's just masochistic. <laughs> yeah. So, like, a big piece is, like, that should be fun, but it's not every single day. And um, what were the other pieces? And uh, in the course of, you know, exploring and just saying yes to everything, which was my path forward. Like, okay, just say yes to everything, try everything, because I am desperate <laughs> to find my way through this trauma. Um, and the coolest thing, I, I am not the type of person that would, in my prior life, right, because I really do feel like there's a split between pre-trauma M and post-trauma M. And in that prior life, synchronicity, those types of like serendipity, they weren't things that I, I was like, ah, it's woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> but post-trauma, like listening in to intuition and really noticing the body's response to everything convinced me that there is like this energetic force that we haven't defined necessarily. Um, physics has started to actually really start to look at this, but there are signs, right? And there are responses in your body that you can cue into to be like, okay, this is something I need to say yes to. And so that first year after Puerto Rico, I just said yes whenever the body said yes. And one of those things was, uh, Amanda Jones, who is uh, on um, Fox 13 in the middle of the day on a show, she came out and did an interview with me at one of the group resiliency field trips that we held. And sh it turned out she's a meditation teacher. And so I got one of her emails a few months later. It was like, hey, come try a meditation session. And again, pre-trauma M doesn't meditate. That's like, nope, <laughs> I don't want to sit still. I got a million things to do. I've got to like stay like focused on this treadmill that I'm on. Uh, sitting still was not in my wheelhouse at all. And so I said, yes, took the meditation coaching session, changed my life forever. 
and being learning how to be still and listen deeply, I think is a big key to this. And so finding mindfulness rituals um, is, I think, a, a baby step way in to start to listen to the body and start to hear intuition so that you can act on it. Um, so for me, like my favorite one, I wake up every morning, um, I collect mugs from the places I go, like the, the really memorable resiliency field trips, so that every morning I can pick one based on the day. Um, and pour in my hot coffee, and I'm a definite coffee addict, but there's also just this ritual around the heat and the the start of the day and I'm not a morning person so it's important and I sit in the same spot and gaze out my window and if I'm traveling I'll find a window or a porch to to be kind of in nature and sip for just a few minutes taking the aroma the sensation mindfulness is so much easier when we tap into sensation because it brings you into your body right I'm suddenly like in my hands and the warmth and then I'm into my breath and and then the taste and that sensation of the warm liquid coming down and and that grounding for even just a few minutes every morning sets a tone for the day where I can be more in my body, more aware, and have just that breath of space, which is really how I define resilience, is that space between what's happening outside of me and how I choose to respond. And if I don't start the morning that way, or if things just really go off the rails, there's no space, right? I'm knee-jerk reaction, fear-based, threat-oriented, the amygdala is totally in charge. And that is not my authentic self. That's the impatient, scary me <laughs> who nobody should have to be around. And I always feel like remorseful about. And so I want to be out of that space as often as possible and maintain that little breath um, so that whatever comes up, I can choose to be in flow with it, to let it be part of my journey, to have that growth-oriented mindset. But it takes that daily maintenance, right? It takes the little mindfulness ritual, the weekly yoga class, the hike that I go on every week like religion because that's church for me, right? It's like my spiritual connection is being out in nature. And if I don't do those things and I still make that mistake, it's a busy week. I can do it in a couple of days. I'll put that off till later. Things go wrong. <laughs> and I go into the scary place and it doesn't – life isn't uh, bright and shiny and op full of opportunities in that place. And so – it really is key to have some of those little rituals from whatever it is. Walking the dog is a favorite along clients that have dogs, um, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I know one of my brother's podcasts, he, he interviewed someone in all about the, the kind of the happy, I think they called it the happy book or something. Um, but, but write down all the things that just make you happy. And that's not necessarily things that make you uncomfortable, although that yeah. sounds absolutely critical. <laughs> and it may become the things you love. But, but do, you know, make sure that every day you're doing some of those things, right? And you've, you've just described them as rituals, triggers. These things are super, super important. Yeah. 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 I love that. I had this. So can I share a story? Absolutely. Because I don't know what to make of this. This was really strange for me. So I just recently started meditating, right? I got into it, and, and basically I repeat this mantra in my head, really focus on my breathing. I set the timer for about 20 minutes. And as, I, as, I'm, as I'm going through this meditation, I'm, I, I'm, I'm recounting, for some reason, these moments of deja vu are popping into my head. You know? And so I'm like, okay, I'm aware that that's there. I'll, I'll push it away, but I, it's there. And it happened like two or three times throughout this 20-minute time span. And then all of a sudden, this, so I see them as images, and then all of a sudden, I, I see an image of uh, a clock ticking down. I see this clock ticking down, and it hits to zero. And then my phone 
the alarm goes off like <laughs> at that moment i don't know what to make of that <laughs> i mean what is that what does that mean I, I don't know anyway is it just that i was so present in the moment like mindful of i guess how long without really being conscious of that i don't know i I don't know. I don't have the answers to that one. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> but it's good. the point of the podcast, but I was like, but I was were, in my but head. you were certainly were present though, right? You were really thinking about. Yeah. You know. It was strange. But anyway, so I, I'm back on track. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think like yeah. when you do start meditating, you connect into the possibilities that are inside of us. Right. Mm. And we have this limited scope of like, I need to rely on an alarm clock. I need to help rely on a timer. I need to have all these things that help me do this. When in reality, we have such significant capacity that we have barely scratched the surface on. And when we do start to meditate and be present, be mindful, it is really kind of magical mm. what comes up the, and the awareness that starts to percolate into the rest of your, the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Sure. It's so it's so important to have that time. I think it. Um, I mean, a lot of kids and and well, people at work and corporate organisations are being encouraged all the time to have that mindfulness. But just put the distractions away. They call it social fasts or yeah. or real actual food fasts. Um, I know that made a big difference to me last year. Yeah. Just get rid of all the things that are distracting um, and fast on a regular basis, and have time in the morning when no one is up. Yeah. And just think, you know, blank piece of paper, just what what's coming to my mind. And, yeah. uh, and then ciphering through which ones are maybe the right things to do, all the things that excite you, all the things that might stretch you, and then go and do them. It's a pretty amazing thing. I was going to ask you earlier, uh, you know, it, each one of us, are there things that you, when, when, when Em's talking about the things you, you could go and do that are out of your comfort zone, what comes to your mind? I'm going to share one, and it's just the oddest thing. Um, from time to time, you know, I will write down things, and maybe a list of 20, 30, 40 things, and I need to go back and visit those things, actually, and go, well, which ones haven't I even started to do yet? But one of them was just the weirdest thing. Where, where we live, um, there's a house near uh, Rock Canyon Park. I don't know if you... There's a house, big house, and it's got... It puts letterings, huge lettering, uh, to you know, a quote that changes every month. Wow. Uh, and I just want to know who that is. <laughs> and like, I'm going to knock on that door one, one day. And actually, it was a day that was pretty difficult. I was thinking, I'm going to knock on that door. I've, th I've been curious enough. Who are they? Why did they do it? When did it start? And I haven't knocked on the door yet. But it's a small thing, right? It doesn't cost money. It's not travel. But it could take me 10 minutes, a little bit out of my comfort zone, knocking on a door. Uh, but find out about uh, about it. That's the type of thing that came to my head when you were talking. But it could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah. It's actually open possibilities. It's endless. Do you have anything, Josh? Well, my... <laughs> it would be very like different that. to like, this one. If you need somebody to go with you, to knock on that door, <laughs> I'll go with you. Okay. <laughs> I want to come too. Yeah, let's <laughs> all go. Let's do it. <laughs> I think, so, it definitely changed the way that I look at these moments after I heard you talk. Like, Absolutely. It was amazing. And what's interesting, though, is I, I didn't have words for it at the time. I, I wrote a blog after we did TEDx last year. I didn't have a word for it through the experience. But I know I'm a, just I'm an introvert, by, you know, and I have a really hard time kind of putting myself out there. This guy has had to tell me multiple times <laughs> to speak more. Right. But it's been a huge thing for me. And then all of a sudden that year, I was like, I want to do 
X, which was basically I wanted to build, you know, my personal brand, and that required me to do certain things. And a big part of that was I'm going to start. I'll try to public speak, right? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Go on. It was so. But yeah, I was just like, I'm going to go do this thing that by far is the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And I'm, I, 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 it was, it was devastating for me because you know, you remember the process. Like we went through, you know, <laughs> rounds oh, of I drafts, <laughs> right? Rounds of drafts, and then there was the day when we had to get up on stage, and we all heard like the last. It was like the last first part and the last part of everybody's talk. Yeah. And I was so terrified that whole time, and I got up there, and this. I was just like, I can't remember anything. I can't, rem I can't remember what I'm supposed to say. I feel like I'm making a fool of myself right now. And and you might die. <laughs> and I might die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'll say this. I think it was hearing your talk in addition to uh, if you remember Beth. Mm -hmm. You know, she helped me through that a lot as well. But hearing your talk, I think, is what pushed me over over that hump, right? And give, it kind of helped me associate that moment of, yeah, this is really hard. And like, it was that day I was like, I'm just gonna go. I'm, I'm, I, I really don't think this is right for me. I was like, I don't know, it was so bad, but it was, I mean, the idea of resilient, resiliency field trips and being uh, intentionally, dis putting yourself in intentional discomfort. I was like, there's purpose in what I'm feeling right now. And I know if I can get through this, the growth I'll feel out of that is, I won't, I won't, I know I won't feel that way if I leave. So yeah. I'm going to stick through it. And I mean, that's the closest thing I can relate to. I mean, cause it was so tied together hearing you talk. And then that experience, I was like, you put words to what I was going through in the most impactful way in that moment. I think so. it was the words that, that made a difference to me as well. Just putting language to it. And it's, you know, it's, already, it's in the dictionary. It's already there resiliency, <laughs> but putting into the story you had, uh, that meant something yeah. to you and to your truth. Um, makes a difference, right? Even if someone else has already talked about it at another point, we should just do what we feel right, right? In our minds, our bodies, our spirits. Um, but since you did talk about that, I mean, I enjoyed lots of talks that day. That's the one that stuck with me, the word resilience um, field trips. And actually, I, I pictured it slightly differently. Sorry, in my mind, I, I pictured it as a, I wonder what, if, if you could see your resiliency, mm right what would it look like and I, and I thought to myself it's gonna sound like mm. I'm bigging myself up but you know my I felt like my resiliency was more like kind of like a rope like a like a tug of war rope pretty decent like you know that's how I feel um but others you know other people I've known over my lifetime uh close to me or you know friends have have maybe had resiliency that's like a cobweb and, 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 and even thinner than that. But that's how I kind of pictured it, in fact, since, since you talked about it and the importance of like, not just doing it, but I am pretty fascinated about how you help anyone. You can't force them to do it. You were saying you can't, someone has to choose. They have to be aware enough of it and then choose to go, I'm gonna do something about it. And what triggered something you just said, Josh, is um, maybe a different subject for another day, but the importance of, you didn't really tell me about that talk, right? You kind of, you know, you it's kept quiet. it to yourself. And actually, sometimes people say, oh, sharing your goals are really important. I actually feel like kind of the opposite. Sometimes we just have to do it, like, kind of secretly, like, just in our own little space yeah. as a motivation to doing things that are scary. 
Yeah, I would agree. I mean, when I went on the trip to Puerto Rico, I didn't tell anybody. I texted my mom the day before. Right. <laughs> I was like, just so somebody knows if I don't come back, <laughs> like this is what's happening. Um, but I was like, there is this, I think for a lot of us, a need to kind of do it in private at first. When I applied for TEDx, I didn't tell anyone because then I'd have to tell them if I didn't get it. Um, and then once I did get it, I was like, ooh, if I tell people, they'll come. <laughs> and I don't want the, them all in the audience. And it was interesting. In the end, I invited and actually bought seats on like the front row for, I think, 12 of my family members and, and, and close friends and things like that. And I had clients buy a bunch of tickets, mm. right? And they were in the audience. And I told one of my closer friends about this who speaks regularly. He's a very well-known author, goes around the world speaking. And he's like, wow, this is like your first really big thing. He's like, I cannot believe you invited anyone. Because <laughs> that was like so not something he would do. He's like, no, no, like I don't, I don't want anyone in the audience that really matters to me. That would just make me so nervous. Um, and I was like, whoa, yeah, that is scary. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> oh, yeah, but they're already coming. Um, but there is, right, this, I think, lean in if you want to do it in private at first. Like, just do it however you need to do it um, to put yourself in that way and, and to speak to, like, you can't force this on anyone. All we can do is plant seeds of inspiration and create conditions for change. And that's where in therapy, I love doing therapy now, even though, you know, going back to the beginning of my story 14 years ago, I hated it. Um, it's realizing that the conditions for change are quite simple. And all of the research in therapy supports this over decades and decades. It doesn't matter what acronym I'm using or what method or where we're at, or if I have a lot of experience or a little bit of experience, it doesn't matter where I did my schooling. The conditions for change are unconditional positive regard, warm, empathic listening, like creating space for people to to rise to their potential to be seen and heard we can do that for our kids we can do it for our spouses we can do it for friends we can do it for strangers it's amazing I think one of the most powerful skills we have to create change and and I love that you guys think about this as far as agency or organizational change it's really about creating that space for resilience in every one of the people we encounter and then you just sit back and watch. Mm. And the coolest thing is they often give you credit. They're like, my clients will be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how much you've changed my life. And I'm like, I just sat here and listened. <laughs> you did all of the work. Like that was all you. You came up with the answers. You took that crazy journey that went so wrong, but was so perfect for you right then. I could have never like prescribed that. I have no idea what your answers are. And it's the same as, you know, when I'm speaking to a best friend, the inclination, the social training is to be like, oh, well, this is what I would do. But instead, when you hold back and just listen deeply and ask those open-ended questions, people come up with the most incredible solutions and they take the journey and you grow closer, you bond, you go on journeys together. And that's, that's where the change happens, right? And so some people might take a long time before they're ready for a resiliency field trip. Life is still gonna give them ones they're not asking for. And that's where we experience that pain, that rub of like, I want to feel better. I, that's why people check into therapy, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I just, something's missing. Life is so hard. I don't want life to be so hard. And the fact is, is that life is always giving us adversity. It's how we relate to it. And so uh, one of the first things I experienced after I got back from Puerto Rico was I got a flat tire and I'd been married for eight years. And so I had never changed a flat tire. Um, and, you know, I was at a meeting with some other girlfriends, the colleagues I worked with, all women. And I'm like, 
texting wildly every man I know in my phone book. I'm like, could you, you know, come help me change a flat tire, right? And nobody's available. So by the end of the meeting, an hour into it, I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to do this. I could do this. <laughs> and it's like this small little voice that got louder and louder and louder. And I told them at the end of the meeting, I was going to go change my flat tire in the rain. And they're like, no, 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 right? All this projected fear and anxiety. And one of them was like, no, no, I'm going to call AAA just in case, right? So I have AAA on the way. So now I've got a countdown. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got to change this tire before AAA gets here because I've got this seed of like intuition to do this. And that is the beautiful thing about going on intentional resiliency field trips is that then you can turn everyday adversity into one just by changing your mindset, right? It's that breath of like, oh, here's my reaction. But now I can say, what could I get out of this, right? And I got another flat tire, like, I want to say three months later, because the universe just knows I need lessons on repeat. <laughs> and I was in uh, peach jeggings and slippers, right? It's um, really cold out. I'm on the way to take the kids to school. They're going to be late. And I'm just so frustrated that I have another flat tire. But it took only maybe 10 seconds this time instead of an hour to be like, oh, no, wait, this is another opportunity. And so this time I had my daughter time me. And I went out and I was like, I'm going to do this quick as like, you know, NASCAR level. And I, I have it somewhere in my blog, but it was, I think, like 13 minutes or something. And I didn't get even a smudge on my peach jeggings while I hauled that tire into the back of the car. And even though the tire cost like a few hundred bucks and that was like part of it didn't even, it paled in comparison to the pride and excitement and aliveness that came from that. So I was like, bring it on, right? Nice. Bring on the flat tires. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. It's, um, it's interesting, I guess, um, we're kind of hitting, we're kind of hitting time. Um, but I do want people to know, you know, I guess, so currently, like, do you do, you, so what, what, what do you do? How can people reach out to you? But also, I want to kind of know what's, in your future, right? Like, what are you, what are you, are you I heard you mentioned you're writing a book. Yeah. And yeah, what can we- On the we, next trip. In the, the next, next trip, trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I am really, I'm gonna admit, I'm super spoiled right now. And a lot of, uh, just a disclaimer to everyone that's gonna hear this and be like, oh, I just don't have that much money, that much time, that much resources. It is truly a choice. And I get that there is a long journey ahead for some people that are much less fortunate than I am, but I really just encourage you to, to make the choices ahead that you can so that you can get to the point of having the freedom to do these things. But I do think a lot of people who have the ability don't think they do. Mm. Um, and this was me. This is just from personal experience. When I looked at um, travel or um, starting a new career, or writing a book or whatever, I always had reasons why I couldn't right now. Like I just, I can't right now because of this. I can't right now because I'm not ready. I can't right now because I need to finish my degree or whatever. And a lot of times we can throw off those limitations. So that's not to discount uh, like the very real adversity and difficulties that many people are facing. Um, but a lot of us do have more freedom than we think. So uh, I am writing the book. And I don't care if it gets published, which is the coolest, most freeing thing in the world. Like I'm just pouring out what comes and letting it be. Um, those people that are in the writing world know it's NaNoWriMo right now. November every year is National Novel Writing Month. And while I'm not writing fiction, I'm still piggybacking on that fun um, challenge of writing 50,000 words in a single month. Um, so that's been my focus for November and will be, I'm sure, for months to come as I kind of play with that and see what comes of it. 
Um, and hopefully that's in my future. I do really, really love writing. And um, I'm very motivated by macro level impact. So the TEDx talk for me was like the ultimate like apex moment of my career so far of being able to impact so many people and hear from strangers. Like that's, ah, uh, man, that lights me up to get emails or calls from strangers that are like, oh, I have this idea. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about mm. it. Like that's so cool. Um, so that's my hope is to shift even more into that. Um, and then right now I'm doing a lot of uh, organizational and corporate virtual workshops and speaking, which has been really cool because resilience is really the theme right now as we all sit in the midst of this pandemic of how do we move forward? How do we get creative? How do we adapt? Because there really will be this new normal afterwards. And even I, like for months during this, was like, no, we're going to go back. <laughs> this will go away and we're going to go back to how things were. But there's this huge opportunity now to find the new normal and to allow this to innovate us as a culture, right? To how do we connect together? How do we relate? How do we respond to crisis? And we can do that in our organizations, in our families, for ourselves in the midst of all of this. And so um, certainly I am available. Um, I'm my private practice with therapy and coaching, uh, yoga classes weekly. Yoga is based on the hero's journey when I teach it. So it's kind of this therapeutic like cycle of moving through every aspect of that in a single hour so that we can embody it in the moment. Um, and then I have workshops that come up right now, kind of locked down. I don't have anything on the schedule just because we are trying to get a hold on this whole pandemic. Um, so those will be coming back in 2021, hopefully. Um, and, and I do just invite people to reach out with ideas or to share a win or to share a field trip because sometimes you're not ready to share it with friends or family, but having somebody for a little bit of accountability and cheerleading changes everything. And that could just be a simple email to this current stranger, but soon to be friend in Salt Lake City. <laughs> um, because that's how we all grow together, right? That, that lights me up and spurs me on and inspires me. Um, and personally, I am headed to Panama at the end of December. I'm super excited. Uh, I'm going to take all the precautions, do all the testing, uh, and, uh, and yet still go. You know, it's been a personal decision at every step of this, um, and I really honor those that are quarantining and protecting others, and I support that, and I'm trying to do that as much as I can at home. Um, but I also am, I always go on an annual trip at the end of December to do planning and to be reflective and reconnect with myself and my own resilience and to honor that initial tradition of Puerto Rico. Um, and Panama is open. So <laughs> I'm headed um, to see the canal and the monkeys and maybe the volcano. We'll see. <laughs> um, and, and then 2021 feels like a, a wide open slate of challenge and possibility, as is every year. Yeah. Can I? Oh, yeah, yeah no. Just go, going go, back go to the book, uh, at the heart of what is at the heart of what you're trying to learn about? Like, what are you trying to Through the answer? writing? Yeah, through yeah. the writing. Oh, what a beautiful question. I love how you worded that because that is what I came to that I couldn't write the book until it became about curiosity within myself rather than trying to share something with somebody. And the TEDx talk was very much the same way. I had applied before. I had like had different ideas of talks I could give. And it didn't click until it was more about my story and being curious and being vulnerable about sharing it, right? Getting up on the stage and being like, yeah, I was arrested. <laughs> and you can totally ask me about it, you know? Um, 
And that was a really cool ripple effect in and of itself. I now like know so many people's arrest stories, <laughs> which if you have one, please share because it's all about growth and I don't regret mine in the least. But um, in the writing, it is very much a memoir style about exploring my experiences in particular in nature and on travel experiences and the alignment to personal growth and awareness and insights that has transformed my life so substantially more than anything else I've tried, right, is about being present in the moment in uncomfortable situations, whether it's wandering through the woods alone or being out in the desert, which is my favorite place to escape to, or being out on some crazy Panama adventure. Um, and so it really is just about finding the layers underneath and putting words to them and learning through that process myself. And, and hopefully at the end, other people can um, find their own seeds of inspiration to learn from their experiences in a deeper way. But no matter what, it'll be, it, and it has been already, an incredible journey for me to go through that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That was a great question. Were you going to ask? That was a great question. No, <laughs> it was definitely not anything as good as that. No, I was just going to ask you, do you remember, so being that we're just about out of time, do you remember the last line of your talk? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah. What was it? Okay, so it was... Don't wait. Yeah, I'll stop there. Do you remember it now? Don't wait for tragedy. <sighs> Resilience is just a field trip away. Just a field trip away, yep. I mean, that I think if you were to summarize, I think a big part of this and a big message is it doesn't take, you know, ending up in jail. It doesn't take, you know, these these really this, this impetus kind of moment in your life, this where where you have to build that resiliency and i think hopefully i think a lot of people will take that away from this conversation is but yeah anyway how do people contact you then if, yeah. if they want to reach out uh so my email is mem right short for emily at mcapito.com capito is c-a-p-i-t-o it's also my website mcapito.com um, and I'm on the socials, but not really. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out to me there, but I have felt really pulled away from social media, and that's perhaps just because I'm doing that introspective writing project right now, and so it's, I think it's so distracting to be, and I'm a natural introvert, so it takes a lot of energy for me to be out, even just in like social spaces online, so I've pulled back and I'm really focused internally. So the best way is email or my cell phone is all over the internet on my website and everything. People can find it there and even just shoot me a text. Um, those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me right now. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank Let's, you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we, That's it. I don't know if we give, do we give any, ex sing, we could give a resiliency <laughs> experiment, sing at, the, <laughs> sing at the end of it. No, maybe we should have given you a warning. <laughs> We had our last guest uh, play the guitar at the end. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe you could sing if you want. No, I'm it. Wow, that would be a real, <laughs> we'll real we'll trip. I've karaokeed <laughs> once and it was like an absolute break. It was as, as hard as Puerto Rico, honestly, all wrapped up into like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think lean into the discomfort. At, as you shared with your TEDx experience, it was very similar for me of like being the hardest thing I'd ever done. Mm. And really could not, if I had known how scary it would be, I would never have applied. <laughs> um, and so put yourself into that just first step um, and let it take you from there. If you want to be a public speaker, apply for something as a speaker and you'll find your way there 
through the discomfort. If you want to travel, book the ticket. You'll find your way through. And this is true for any anyone, right? I mean, any age. It could yeah. be a child. It could be a student. It could be a someone that's just starting a business, or it could be someone you know much much older. Just do something different. If you feel that inkling or intrigue, or, or maybe feel have anxiety or, or whatever it might be, you can choose this path. I think it's going to be great. Um, I think of my this is not for the podcast, but my my daughter actually. I think she'd love this to just listen to this because she kind of she's figured out some of this at, while she's still at BYU. Mm. Um, she goes on like she's just chosen to go on a. She does trips all the time. She chooses yeah. them because they're going to be difficult. And she chooses, she even chose to go to a different apartment without her friends that she's been with for three years. Mm -hmm. I went, why did you do that? I just want to meet new people. I want to, I want to stretch myself. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, 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 but it really can come before the, the big trauma or the big yes. challenge. You, you could actually, if you identify that that's good for you really early on, then start doing it now. That's, yeah. you know. I think kids know this, like they're just so in touch with intuition, right? Because there's less fear. There's less of that voice saying, oh, stop, you might die, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so we train that out of them, unfortunately. We're like, oh, that art piece isn't quite good enough, or you didn't win the soccer competition or, or any of these things. And I hear it coming out of my own, like, you know, my own childhood training will come out of my own mouth with my kids of like, oh, do you really want to do that? Like, that's a little risky. And then I have to backtrack and be like, no, do it, right? follow that intuition. My daughter is writing a novel and no way. oh man, it scares the crap out of me that she might not get it published. It might fail. Like she might feel like a failure. She might never finish it. Like what will that do to her? And those are all my fears, right? Me projecting all of that fear onto this beautiful, like totally wide open child that like doesn't like have those fears in place. She's just writing because she feels called to write. And, and yeah, like we can re-tap into that after that social programming to hold back, go into the difficult places and find that. And rock climbing has been huge for me and my mm. kids. Like, and those things we create on a regular basis, rituals, right? I try to go rock climbing with my kids like every other week because it helps us stay in tune with that piece. That's cool. wonderful. Yeah, we'll cut it. That was great. Awesome. Seriously, yeah, thank, thank you, you so guys. much. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Swell Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all major socials at the Swell Pod. We'll see you next time.